Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We're going to talk some gut health, one of my favorite subjects, and we're going to dive into the topic of fiber, which really fascinates me because, frankly, I don't do well with a lot of it. You know, all those years that I was constipated and recommended to take a fiber supplement, it just clogged me up so much worse. And even now, if I overdo fiber, it is no bueno for my my body. And I know this has a lot to do with my gut bacteria, but it can be challenging because a lot of healthy foods that I love have a lot of fiber. Anyway, I just, I think this is an important topic to talk about because you might be frustrated when you start eating healthier and then feel extra bloated, gassy, constipated, or even have some diarrhea. So we're going to talk about what to do and what to know when it comes to fiber. We're also going to talk about diverticulitis a colon disease that is increasingly affecting more and more people. In the United States, acute, acute divide, uh, excuse me, diverticulitis is associated with nearly 200,000 hospital admissions and over $2 billion in healthcare costs per year. I have um, personal uh, family members and friends that um, deal with this. So it is it is of great interest um, to me and, and likely that you might know somebody as well. I've asked Terry Ward, who wrote a book called The Healing Diverticulitis Cookbook, to join me today as she is an expert with this disease and here to share important insight when it comes to all of these topics, gut health, fiber, and diverticulitis. Terry has a, a Master of Science degree in human nutrition and functional medicine and is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. She has a Facebook group called Healthy Guts, Healthy Temples with Terry Ward, which I love that. And I'm just so pleased to have her joining us today. Welcome, Terry, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you, Chelsea. It's a pleasure to be here. So glad you're here. We have similar groups. <laughs> Yes, yes, we do. Yep. Um, I, I love how you refer to yourself as a recovering CPA <laughs> and you found your way to a, a new career because of your own health issues, as many of us do in the holistic health world. And so I just love to hear that story and, and tell us how that came about. Well, I had a successful career as a CPA for a lot of years, but tax seasons are not good for your health. And especially if, if you work at a big firm, you know, the food that they bring in is not healthy. And I was just destroying my health with the stress and the long hours. And I knew I wanted to do, needed to do something else. And then the passion just started waning. I think God does that to us. And my husband was supportive, but then he lost his job. And so 
I had to work more. And finally, I got to take this sabbatical. I drove cross country by myself and I had a cooler in the back seat. So I'd stop at the grocery store and buy real food and stop along the way to visit family. And I just saw how they ate unhealthy foods and most of them were sick and on different prescriptions and I'm just feeling great. And I'm like, that's it. I need to change careers to help other people heal their guts and just take back their health, you know, with real food. Yeah, so I tried doing both for a little while, but it just it just didn't work. <laughs> so now I'm just a nutritionist. I still have a license, you know, I guess just like an alcoholic is always recovering. I'm kind of a recovering CPA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that you you just got in the car and went cross country and went on your sabbatical. That's very cool. How long was how long did that take? Oh, gosh. I was gone several weeks. Yeah, I just stayed in the western part, but I went went to Utah and then Oklahoma, down to San Antonio, over to California, up the west coast. It was awesome, yeah. I actually just, I love time in the car. It's just like time of God. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind time in the car either because, um, Yes, just time time with God, listening to good music or podcasts. It's actually fine. And that's good that I don't mind it because I live out in the sticks. And so it it takes a lot to drive anywhere. But anyway, um, well, that's neat. I love that you did that for yourself. Um, and just and also just, you know, being aware that your career was so stressful and destroying your health. I think a lot of people can resonate with that and also resonate with the you know, uh, all the foods coming in the break room and just kind of that environment of being, um, of being unhealthy. I, you know, I don't think everybody has to switch careers to, to get healthy, but, um, I, I think we can absolutely be more aware of what to do. And it all starts with, uh, gut health. And that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. Can you tell us a little bit more about your, um, your gut healing journey? How did you, uh, was you just noticed that you weren't feeling well and, and you were studying and you went to NTA and so you just did it with real food? Did you uh, do anything specific? Oh gosh, it was, it was a long, long journey because I've, I've never been tested because I refused to put gluten back in my diet, but um, my gastroenterologist agreed with me when I did my timeline that I probably had celiac when I was a child even. And I think that, you know, that contributed a lot to other diagnoses that I got. It wasn't, you know, and that was at the root of everything. I got to the point where you know, I could hardly get out of the bathroom in the morning to go to work. And so it was even affecting my career when I ended, you know, at the end of it, I was working for myself. So I had flexibility, but it was really tough, and I just found, you know, like little bitty pieces here and there. Like one doctor said, oh, cut out dairy. And that helped, but it wasn't there. It wasn't until my granddaughter was born, and she was what doctors would have called colicky. But my daughter's a chiropractor, and so she always tries to find, you know, the natural things. And then and my daughter just all of a sudden started 
dropping weight like crazy. And then her stool turned her white. And she's like, oh, I have celiac disease. Because she knew she was allergic to dairy when she was, you know, little. And so she took that out. The baby was a little better, like I was, but not completely. So then she finally eliminated gluten. And that baby was just like night and day, unless Shelly accidentally ate gluten. And I'm like, oh, that might be my link. And then my son said, oh, yeah, I really get bloated up when I drink beer. And so, yeah, it was a family thing. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So you had been going to to a gastroenterologist to... Um, to work on this. And, um, and so just for everybody's reference, when you are to, are to be tested for, um, celiac or gluten sensitivity, um, you're supposed to, if you've been not been eating gluten, you're supposed to add it back in, um, to be properly tested. And that, that, that's a barrier for some people because they know how, how bad they feel with it. And so, um, I think, you know, Knowing that it doesn't work for you, whether the test proves it or not, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's sufficient, but that's just me. Um, I totally agree, and I never recommend someone put it back in if they're feeling better without it. But some mm-hmm. people, they just really, I, oftentimes I find they want the confirmation, not so much for themselves, but for their family to show them, here, look, I wasn't just making this up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And sometimes people need the test for their own personal buy-in, I guess. You know, they need to see um, that proof. So, yeah, I get that. And there are tests out there that that people can do. Um, that's really fascinating. So your, your grandchild um, was affected by gluten when your daughter ate it when she was nursing. That's what you were saying? Yes. And mm-hmm. I just, again, want everybody to hear that. So when you have a colicky baby, if they're, you know, that is um, absolutely something to consider um, if you're, if your nursing is playing with your diet, because what, you know, your baby's eating what you're eating. And so it, it makes a big difference. Um, well, tell us, so you wrote this, this cookbook called the Healing Diverticulitis Cookbook. How did you kind of come into this niche with, um, with diverticulosis and diverticulitis. And also while we're at it, maybe you can explain the difference between diverticulosis and diverticulitis. Okay. Well, I work with a publisher that goes out and they research what readers want and they do it very specifically, like exactly what do they like about the other books that are out there? What don't they like? And they make this outline and then find an author. And so they'll pitch me different titles. Oh, how and interesting. I've got, yeah, I've got loved ones with diverticulosis and have had flare-ups. And when I went out and I joined a couple Facebook groups, it was like, oh my gosh, these people need so much help and they're not getting it. And so I just had this passion to take on this title. And so that's how it started. I think there's there's four terms I'd like to start, you know, with for clarity. Because first, when we refer to diverticular disease, it includes both diverticulosis and diverticulitis. And the next term is diverticula, which are just pockets or pouches in the large intestine, which is also the colon, 
that kind of protrude through weak areas in the lining of the colon. And so now if we look at the medical meaning of these suffixes, um, osis in diverticulosis means just having the condition. So diverticulosis just means that you have these pouches. And generally just having the pouches causes no problems for most people. And the other one, diverticulitis, itis in anything means inflammation. So in diverticulitis, the pouches can become inflamed or infected. And that's when you need to get medical care. And you'll have a lot of pain and you'll know, you may not know what's wrong, but you'll know you need help. Mm-hmm. How does somebody get diverticulosis, so the pockets in the first place? Well, it appears that pressure inside the colon and then weakness of the wall contribute to the pouches being formed. And so if you have chronic constipation, that can lead to weakening. But we really can't pinpoint a cause. My publisher had that in the outline and they're like, kept wanting to change my words to cause. I'm like, no, there is no evidence that points to a specific cause that we'd like to do. But there are several related factors that I discuss in my book that increase your risk. It's just like, you know, our health. When we look at, we've got mediators of different things. We can't always just pinpoint it to one thing because our health is so holistic. So those related factors include age and genetics. We can't control age, and we only have indirect control over genetics through nutrigenomics. But the other factors, we can positively influence those through lifestyle changes, which are diet, lack of exercise, obesity, inflammation, altered gut motility, increased intestinal permeability, which is often referred to as leaky gut, stress, smoking, vitamin D deficiency, and then certain drugs like NSAIDs or anti-inflammatories, aspirin, corticosteroids, and opioids. And I can't emphasize the importance of inflammation enough because remember, that's what itis means. Yes. Inflamed. Um, so that's interesting. Okay, so the... Our, so a lot of us could be walking around with these pockets, this diverticulosis, and and not know it. So are a lot of people just kind of unaware that they might have this until they have an episode of, of diverticulitis? Yeah, it's most commonly discovered in an acute attack, um, often in the ER. But diverticulosis is the most common, I guess, incidental finding when you have a routine colonoscopy. They might say, oh, by the way, you have diverticulosis. Ah, uh, okay. And so if somebody is getting their colonoscopy and they, and they get that diagnosis of having diverticulosis, what kind of rec, what would you, would you recommend something specific to that person? Do they need to avoid certain foods? Um, I guess all of the factors you just mentioned or, or would, could lead to an inflammation or, or cause the flare up of, of that into diverticulitis, but, um, are there any specific foods or anything? What would you do is say, okay, if you want to avoid having a flare-up, um, here's some kind of go-to advice. 
Well, it's funny because one thing I've noticed in looking at different diets, and especially this one, is I always come back to an anti-inflammatory diet. In the past, people have been advised to avoid eating nuts, corn, popcorn, and seeds to prevent flare-ups, but science has pretty much debunked that, and it actually shows because those are high-fiber foods that they can be beneficial. Now, certainly there's surgeons who've probably pulled them out of pockets, but they've probably pulled other things out of the pockets too, and it is just, you know, you know about bio-individuality. We'll talk about that a little more later, but everybody's different. So in the book, I actually put in their resources a food journal. Mine's called the Food, Mood, and Poop Journal. But everybody's so different. You know, lettuce might be a trigger for someone to get a flare-up, but for someone else, they eat it just fine. And so unless you have comorbidities like irritable bowel syndrome, diabetes, or high blood pressure, which are kind of common comorbidities with diverticulitis, you should be able to eat most foods, meaning nutrient-dense whole foods rather than processed or food products, because those are inflammatory. Right, and, and, and that just goes along with pretty much anything, right? <laughs> anything that we're trying mm-hmm. to address in the body, it would be best to um, avoid highly inflammatory, um, foods. Yes. I can remember people, you know, saying, um, you know, when they were having a diverticulitis, um, flare, well, we're always, you know, avoid the popcorn, avoid the nuts and seeds, all of that. And then I remember, um, somebody asking me, you know, telling me that her doctor said to, she needed to eat white bread. Um, well, for sure. During the healing phase, when you first first have an attack, you're going to need to just do clear liquids. And then, you know, that's, that should just be for a few days because obviously you're, you can't maintain that. But then after that, you start introducing really low fiber foods until your system is back where it can handle some fiber. And that just killed me because I, in phase two, I had to recommend all the foods that we normally tell people not to eat the white breads and, you know, this kind of process things. Right. But in your cookbook, you do it, you do everything in in a, the least inflammatory way possible. So we're not going out and getting wonder bread or anything like that. Um, no, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is what people, they don't know what to do, you know, so that's what they do. And then, you know, that's not helpful overall for us. So I think that's why your cookbook is so valuable. Um, and and this is not just a cookbook. This is a informative educate, you know, educating book. So, um, it's more than recipes. It explains all of this very well. It's a great resource for people with, um, diverticulitis, but let's talk about fiber, Will you, let's just kind of, kind of overall explain the role of fiber, um, and its role in our diet. There's just been, I think it's interesting in the space that we're in now with the popularity of like the carnivore diet, you know, which is like zero fiber and, you know, the keto diet, which is very high fat and, and can be low fiber. And, um, I don't know. There's just been so, there's just, it's kind of all over the place. So let's just, let's just talk about fiber and, you know, what's its role in, um, and everything about that. Give us all the details. 
Okay. Um, I used to get really hung up and think it was complicated, but it really isn't that complicated. Um, we just have to remember there is no fiber in animal foods. Fiber is the part of plant-based foods that isn't digestible. And soluble means that it dissolves in water and soluble fiber, you know, kind of forms a jello and it dissolves so it can help with digestion. It also can help reduce blood cholesterol or blood sugar. And insoluble means the fiber can't be broken down in water. And instead what it does is it attracts water into your stool so it makes it softer and easier to pass with less strain on that bowel. And this is really important with diverticulitis and bowel health because I think the number one thing is whatever diet you're doing, you need to poop. I mean, you know, ideally at least once a day, somebody might, you know, I've heard doctors tell people, oh, it's normal that you only have a stool every, you know, few days. I'm like, it might be common, but it's not optimal. You really need to poop and, um, there's a Bristol stool chart that I actually linked in my book too, because you want number, like a number four, three or four, ideally on that chart. Um, and if, you know, you're wanting to increase your fiber, never do it without water because you will get constipated and be miserable. You've got to increase them both together. Another thing fiber does is it, it feeds the beneficial bacteria in the intestine and it makes us feel full so we can manage our weight better. Well, that's a perk. <laughs> yeah. That's always a perk. <laughs> I, I know on the Bristol stool chart, I always, um, I just tell people, I'm like, we're looking for smooth banana. Smooth banana. That's what we're looking for. When there you go. <laughs> that's just great. To give, to give people a visual, which um, we, I talk about poop a lot here, so I like to make everybody uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, somebody's got to talk <laughs> about know. it. And you're so right. When, um, when my second son was born, um, he was, he came out, came out of me with eczema and not pooping. And I was like, how did I already mess this child up? I just gave birth to him. Um, and I remember oh. taking him, you know, and of course it was his gut and my gut was all messed up at the time. But, um, you know, that's, I was still was learning all the, all of these things. But I remember taking him to the doctor, you know, and saying he only poops like once every three or four days, you know, and, and the doctor was like, oh, it's fine. You know, that's normal. I'm like, that just doesn't seem normal to me. Um, and I get, I get kind of mad retroactively about that because, yeah. um, you know, I'm like, no, that's not right. And so I just, um, over and over want to emphasize here that, you know, poop is the way that we detoxify and, and do all kinds of things. So yes, we need, we need to poop once a day, um, at least. And if you're not, then we need, we need to work on that. Um, and fiber can, can be, uh, you know, fiber can be very integral to that. But, you know, for me, this is what I, I think is so interesting. You know, I've done several gut protocols over the years. Um, and even though I feel like my gut's in good working order, I just, I can't handle a lot of fiber, you know, and I don't count my fiber intake. I don't, you know, if you have a, um, you know, kind of a target goal of what, of what we should be getting every day. Um, I just don't count anything because I don't like numbers, which might be funny to you as an accountant, but, um, I don't like to count anything that I don't have to. But anyway, um, I just know that when I've gone too far, when I've eaten too much fiber, I'm just like, whoa, Nelly, you overdid it. And it's what I call, I like having a food baby, you know, I'm just bloated and 
um, feel yucky. And then I, I it feel like it works against me. And I, I just really feel like I do better on more of a, a kind of more meat and a little less, you know, um, a little less veg, um, maybe than, you know, some people, um, and, you know, but here's kind of another thing. I, I feel like, um, I know with diverticulitis that red meat can, um, be problematic. So, um, and that's sad because it's such a nutrient dense food, but let's kind of break several of those things down. First, let's just start with, do you think that people, um, some people just do better on more fiber and some people don't. And should those of us who don't keep working at it to tolerate more, um, for the health benefits or, or I know, you know, we, this is probably where bioindividuality, um, comes in, but what's kind of a good target. And then if we're not able to handle that, what are your thoughts on that? Well, if you, if you go out there and look for recommended fiber, you're going to see a chart and the charts based on age and sex. And that, well, really what that does is it assumes that as you get older, you eat fewer calories and men eat more calories than women. So the, the easy way to think about it is a recommended fiber intake is 14 grams per thousand calories of food. And actually, I'm like you. I don't like to count things. But if you've never counted your grams of fiber, you'll probably be really surprised when you do it. Just to know, you know, if because if you just say, okay, you know, I don't eat very much. I eat 1,500 calories a day, but I'm going to shoot for 30 grams of fiber. Well, that's too much, probably. Um, so I think that you want to focus on doing it gradually, you know, just start adding more. Uh, if you look at foods, they're labeled high fiber if they only have five grams. So that's not really high fiber that's going to get you, you know, if you eat one of those three times, you're not going to get to the target. But I think it is bio-individuality. If we look at, you know, the work of Weston A. Price, and he went around the, the globe looking at different diets, there's places where there aren't vegetables available most of the year. And, you know, the Inuits in Alaska, they eat well, whale blubber. So... You know, our bodies can adapt again, as long as you're pooping, you're probably fine. But I do think, you know, with the common morbidity of irritable bowel syndrome, that's just a bucket diagnosis. And you really need to look, you know, deeper at the root cause, you know, test for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, fructose intolerance, you know, deal with those things, consider getting a stool test. But if everything checks out, that might just be you. Yeah. I think part of my problem might be I I have a little portion control issue when I when I eat some of my favorite vegetables. Like if I, you know, roast some cabbage. I mean, um, literally, I could eat a whole head of cabbage, and that's just a little over the top. I think anybody would have a food baby after that. But <laughs> you know, finding mm-hmm. some broccoli with some and put some butter on it and some salt. I mean, I I love that, you know. But um, I can certainly overdo it, just like I can overdo anything. And I think part of the problem is is that um, it might just be a little portion control uh-huh. for me. Um, well, that's good. Well, let's let me ask you about this the red meat thing with, um, with diverticulitis, um, because I'm a big red meat fan. And, um, and so I, you know, what do you think's up with that? Why would that be problematic for, 
somebody with diverticulitis? Well, it's controversial. Some, but not all the studies show an association between eating red meat and a higher risk. But one study showed no association and another showed a significant association with no relationship to how much you're eating. So you kind of have to look at, you know, the overall diet because what they, you know, some of them did find a dose dependent relationship and others found that it was just in combination with a low fiber diet. But you and I both know they're not using grass fed and grass finished beef, you know, whether that would make a difference or not. We don't know and they don't know. So I think again, it just have to kind of look at doing that in moderation because there's some other things about red meat that you know, make you maybe not want to eat it every single day. But you're right, it's, well, the thing that I could find was it's associated, both low-fiber diet and red meat consumption are associated with undesirable changes in the intestinal microbiota. I don't know what's wrong with my voice today. Sorry about that. Why would that? You're fine. Okay. Yeah, so again, you know, one of the risk factors is dysbiosis or an imbalance between beneficial and pathogenic bacteria, which can lead to inflammation. So we just kind of come around in this circle where everything is related. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that, so with the red meat, maybe it's one of those correlation is not causation, but we just don't know, maybe, for sure, and it's bio-individual as always, things are. I think people think that we, we say that, so it's just a, <laughs> you know, well, it could be this, could be that, and it's bio-individual, so you could try anything. But it's so true. Everybody um, is a little bit different, especially when it comes to their their microbiome, their gut bacteria makeup. And so it's it, that plays a big role in how people are going to um, handle certain foods, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think... With, you know, the other studies that show there might be some colon cancer risk increased, I would say, you know, don't eat it every day, but you can have it, but go with the grass-fed and grass-finished beef, <laughs> always. So much healthier, less inflammation, you know, better, because the omega um, fatty acids in brain-fed beef are inflammatory. Yes, I'm with you there, sister. My husband's a grass-fed cattle rancher, so all uh, I'm with you. Um, I think it just imparts, um, you know, a, a better nutrient um, profile, less inflammation. I think it's um, if somebody can can include that if it's in the budget, if it's if they can find it, um, that is the way to go. Okay, let's talk about. Um, Let's kind of talk about, we were talking about fiber and, you know, low fiber, high fiber. And what I really like about your cookbook is that you have the recipes labeled under three categories. We have clear liquid, low fiber, and high fiber. And you have a three-day clear liquid phase plan for people to use during a, a flare-up, a, a diverticulitis flare-up. But I think that this would be excellent also for somebody who just needs a digestive reset. You know, it's it's like a liquid fast, and it includes electrolyte drinks, which you have several recipes for those in there, um, teas with honey, bone broth. Um, I just think it would be 
great to do, even though I don't have any diverticulitis flares. I, I'd kind of like to do it just as a digestive reset. And in a, in the Christian health club, every, well, once a season we do a, um, we do a little plant-based detox. Um, but I'm kind of thinking I want to do this as a version of that. Uh, I'm just putting it out there because then it will make me more accountable to do it. <laughs> if I say it out loud, um, to my, cause everyone knows I'm in a pleasure. Oh, um, but, um, I don't, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever gone three days without solid food, even though you've got some gelatin on there. So, uh, I guess that's solid food, but I think this would be a nice bridge for me and maybe for other people who have not done, who've kind of been interested in doing a, a longer fast, but maybe want to still include some things. I think this just would be a good option. Um, and then from there, you transition people into a two week recovery, low fiber phase. And then a high fiber maintenance phase. So it's like you're slowly building back up to that fiber tolerance. And I think that could benefit a lot of people. And you have it all laid out in meal plans with the recipes. Like, for instance, um, I'm just sharing with people so they can get an idea. You have a recipe for low fiber flour, um, a blend of that. So you can use that to make crackers or like a peach upside down cake. You have a, a great recipe for that. And then you have high fiber chicken enchiladas and macadamia nut coconut bar cookies. It's just a nice variety of uncomplicated uh, recipes. And I think this would be nice for somebody that is looking for an anti-inflammatory real foods diet if they were doing any kind of um, just digestive health, gut health protocol. I think this would be a really um, helpful guide in doing that. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. think the clear liquid phase, obviously, anytime you're sick, some of those recipes would be wonderful. And uh, the majority of the recipes are the phase three, which is maintenance. So anti-inflammatory and healthy for anyone. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't have to be um, just kind of pigeonholed into a um, and just for diverticulitis because it's like you said, the itis is is inflammatory and um, that can present itself in many different ways. And so as an anti-inflammatory um, guide, I think this is this is great. Let me ask you this, um, because I think some people would be surprised, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but surprised to see something like juice in several of these recipes. And as nutritionists, we we often try to steer people away from, you know, something like juice. Um, so tell us, you know, tell us about that. Well, you know, as nutritionists, we like whole foods, as God and nature intended, and juice has all the nutrients of the food except the fiber. So, you know, you would think it's healthy, but the fiber is actually what slows down the blood sugar spike when you eat fruits and vegetables. And, of course, you know, it also feeds the friendly bacteria so when you take that out, you're just getting a blood sugar roller coaster. Um, so I think that when you're in this healing phase, you've got to have some calories and you've got to have some electrolytes, but your gut just can't handle fiber. So that's kind of why we do it. And I really wish I could have used, you know, fresh juices and done a green juice in the book, but my publisher won't let me 
use any specialized equipment and the wow. you know it has to be things almost anyone has in their kitchen and it, the prep times are so tight too so that you know they're just easy for people to get in the kitchen and get something done quickly and easily but i did well, use juices without added sugar that you can find at almost any large supermarket and i think the way that i used you know them in gelatins and in the ice pops is something that you know it's really kind of cool if you've got kids so you don't have to use i mean if you read the brand name gelatins or the boxed ones oh, the ingredients are just horrid yes they are and you can really make it yourself so easily um yeah it's super easy mhm and 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 good for you um when you're when you do it like that I, that's so interesting um i think I'll, i'm this is interesting in the way that your publisher has kind of put these um so this was so outlined and presented to you and given to you with these kind of um the, these boundaries but i do think it is i one thing i noticed about your um about this your cookbook is that it it's it's not complicated it, it is something that people could do um, fairly easily because it, you know, it's not there, it doesn't require a lot of special equipment and, um, the recipes are, you know, uncomplicated. And I think that's helpful for people, you know, I mean, I think most people that have diverticulitis or, uh, you know, a, a very, um, maybe a complicated, um, gut issue and they're, they're just, they're trying to, um, change things and, and do make healthier steps. But, you know, when you get into some of these, um, some of these recipes and things, they, they require so many unfamiliar ingredients to people and they're complicated and, and take so many steps. And it just, it's hard for people to get on board with that. I think, again, I, this is kind of a nice bridge and, and way in, into that. And so, um, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting, but I just, yeah, I think that this is, yeah, this comes together I well. I think that when you live out in the country like you and I do, sometimes you just can't find those things nearby, even some of the things that are in my book. Most of the things you can, but um, online and delivery is so wonderful now, and I, I put a resource section in the back of the book, so... Nothing is going to be hard to find if you know you can order online. Yeah, thank thank yeah, goodness just, that is one yeah. good thing for the modern modern delivery system. Very helpful. Um, yeah, well, I just hope that people people with the diverticulitis will use this book because it's so sad to see them come away without any guidance. They just you know, don't know what to do. <clears throat> they don't know what to eat. They don't know what to do. And they just get stuck in this repeated cycle of antibiotics. And, you know, we know what that does to your microbiome. And it increases, you know, the risk of repeated infections, not just of diverticulitis, but other things like C. difficile. That's not something anybody wants to deal with. And it, you know, just destroys your immune system. So is that, so if somebody lands in the hospital with a diverticulitis um, episode, yeah, what, what do they do? They give you an antibiotic? 
Yes, that well, standard is antibiotics. Sometimes they it's so bad they have to admit you and do IV antibiotics. You know, diverticulitis is nothing to mess with. You, you need help. Uh, so you'll typically get referred back to your primary care physician. And you may or may not, you know, get any good guidance there. You may or may not get referred to a nutritionist or dietitian. And so I really hope that people will use this book and that it can prevent some of that cyclical phase two where they just can't seem to get out of there. Because that phase two essentially is, you know, it's not the health, it's the healthy, the unhealthy diet that causes most chronic disease. Mm-hmm. The lack of fiber, totally, you know, so. Well, yeah, I, I think, um, I hope, yeah, people hear this. And so for sure, if you have, you know, gotten your colonoscopy and then you were diagnosed with diverticulosis, I would be aware of that because you're, you know, you don't know when you're going to, if you, you could have a flare up of like that, right? That could just, there, that could happen. And then you'd be like, ah, so if you mm-hmm. have diverticulosis, know that this resource is available. And I, I think I would just have this on hand <laughs> just in case um, something happens so you're ready. But also, like I said, I think it's wonderful for somebody uh, maybe looking for a digestive reset, somebody that doesn't maybe handle fiber well and could, um, could even start with like the three day, um, liquid, um, plan and then move into the low fiber and then kind of, you know, kind of ready your system for a little bit more fiber. I think that would be, um, that could be helpful as well. So it, it, it can be used in, in many, many different ways. And, um, I'm glad that the publisher picked you to do it. <laughs> what, what an honor, Thank what an you. honor to be, to be yeah. out with, um, like here, we need something on this and you are a person and you could do any of these. What, you know, I think that's really, that's very awesome. Yeah. They're great to work with. I mean, the outline really helps keep you focused and get it done quickly, but they're also wonderful about me adding things that aren't in there or saying, no, I don't want this in there. You know, I've always sneak the functional medicine stuff in there and they love it. It's not in the outline, but I sneak it in there. (laughs) Which is nice. Getting some of your, yeah, getting a little bit more of that holistic influence in there um, into the, into more of this kind of mainstream, you know? Um, And I think this affects so many people that were, you know, this, and it could, like I said, hit you upside the head if you're unaware. And then you, yeah, you could be sucked into this kind of vicious cycle, um, making your gut health worse. So, um, I hope today just gives people some direction and, um, and some answers. And, um, and I hope they, you know, take a look at your, um, your, this resource, which is good in many ways. Is there anything else before we start I kind think of wrapping? There's, there's okay. one thing. Yeah, there's one thing I'd like to add because typically the antibiotics that I see prescribed are one of them has a black box warning and those are not the ones that are typically in the recent studies. But of course the one in recent studies is expensive and uh, there's two studies, two big studies actually that I think you should discuss with your Doctor, if you have an uncomplicated case, 
because you know if you've got a complicated case you need those antibiotics and you need treatment fast but in just you know the mild uncomplicated cases the studies actually showed that um, just observation versus prescribing antibiotics was just as effective there was no difference in the period recovery period the need for surgery or complications and so I referenced those two studies in my book and you know it takes a while for this stuff to actually get into clinical practice so i think that you know if people looked at those studies and discussed them with their doctor they they might be able to avoid antibiotics in certain cases yeah i mean sometimes antibiotics are necessary and in the thank god we have yes. them um truly mm -hmm. it, it's just that they are typically um, over prescribed and, um, and there's consequences with, you know, taking them, um, too often. Well, with taking them at all, but, um, but also just, you know, getting in that vicious cycle of taking them over and over. And if there's something you can do to avoid it, then that's, that's preferable. But in some cases, you just can't. And, and for those that don't like to take an antibiotic, you just can't beat yourself up about it. I mean, I know when I had a, a UTI. I mean, at one point I just had to do it. I mean, you know, I hated to do it, but yeah. you, you just, sometimes you just, that's what you need. And you just, then you come back around and, and uh, kind of nurture your gut a little bit and get it back on track. And, right. you know, that's, that's what we do. I think it's the people that, you know, are unaware and have, you know, taken a lot of antibiotics in childhood or over their life and their guts a wreck and in adulthood you know, we just, we, we kind of don't make that connection as to why um, we have these gut health problems. And, and I think that's why most people, you know, could benefit from um, doing some gut work is because we've all, um, I know people my age anyway, have, you know, grew up with that. It's like, oh, your ear hurts here. Here's an antibiotic, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. whatever it is. So I um, think that, you know, the, the gut healing afterwards is just as necessary as the antibiotic. If you've had, you know, several rounds of antibiotics in your life, you need some gut healing. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice if it was just kind of an automatic thing? Like, okay, now you've had the antibiotic. Now here's the protocol to do some gut healing. And, and it's more than, um, it, it's more than just taking a probiotic. Um, you know, it's, it can, it's more involved in that in, in most cases, in mm -hmm. many cases. Um, so I think people, while it's good to do that, you know, make sure to, to repopulate, but there's, uh, it, it does some other damage. Um, and it's sometimes just not that easy. So, um, I think that's where somebody like you or I come in, um, to help people with that. So, um, absolutely. If somebody's, you know, interested in doing that, that's, I, that's a, always a good thing just to do some gut healing. Anything else you want to yes. say about the gut before, or gut health? I mean, that's kind of a, we could go crazy with that, but just in, in relation <laughs> no to things kidding. we've been talking to today, is there anything before we wrap up that you, you think um, is important um, to zone in on or to share anything at all? No, I think we, covered what's relevant for the topic. Yeah, I think so. Cause we, we, we could, again, that's like a opening a can of worms. We could go all kinds of places with that. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm glad that we, you know, we did kind of zero in on some, on fiber and, 
Um, just, you know, kind of being aware some people handle it, um, better than others. And so you might need to do some tweaking with that and just being aware of your fiber intake. Um, and sure. And specifically if you, if you have diverticulosis to, to be aware of what you can do. And this book's a great resource for that. Um, okay. Well, I I think, um, can I just say, you know, keeping a food journal, it really, the mood piece, um, all of it gets you in touch with your body. Because, you know, sometimes I get these clients that they really don't even understand that this isn't normal to feel this way or, you know, they don't pay attention to it. And that really reconnects you with your body when you start paying attention to those things. Yes, I'm always reminding people, make those connections, make those connections. And and I do think, you know, keeping a the food mood um, journal and writing down your, you know, your poops and how you feel. Are you, you know, um, throughout the day and, and really does help your right to kind of see it there in writing. Some people just, are, you know, need to have that all kind of laid out in front of them to to make those connections. So that's a great place to start. If you're having any issues with anything, start there. I mean, you, you can do mm-hmm. that before you seek out any kind of practitioner just for yourself. Start. That's kind of doing the, some legwork ahead of time. Um, and yes. that you could present to your doctor, to your nutritional therapist or anybody, um, could be really helpful. So that's, that's good advice. Okay. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you the anchor questions, uh, that I ask everybody. Okay. I'll be curious through this one for you. What is your favorite anchor meal, which is just kind of like a go-to healthy meal that you eat often? Oh gosh, that would be. Dill caper salmon with Persian crunchy rice and tomato cucumber salad. Yum. We love, we love Persian food and that my husband has figured out how to make their crunchy rice, the tadig on the bottom of the pot much more quickly. Some of them take like hours to do it, but he's figured out how to do it quickly. And we both love that meal. I am unfamiliar with that kind of rice. I'm going to have to look into that. That sounds very fancy and delicious. <laughs> um, Everybody fights over the toddy, the bottom of the pot. We went to our friend's house. He He's Persian and has taught me a lot about cooking. And his family just makes these wonderful feasts. And his aunts were dishing out the rice. And my husband and I are both like, Where's the Todd egg? And they kind of looked at us like, how'd you know about Todd egg? Like they were kind of hiding it from the main table. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, you can't hide it from me. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, well, that sounds good. I'm, I've never I've never had that. So I'm going to have to seek that out. That sounds delicious. Um, and how about your favorite anchor verse, which is a favorite Bible verse or one just kind of speaking to you presently? Oh, gosh. Presently, uh, I've rolled out a line of spice blends, and my husband makes cutting boards, and so we take those on my cookbooks to farmer's markets. And, you know, there's some days that just not that great, and it can be discouraging, but that Zechariah 4.10 reminds me, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And then I think confirming that process is or promise is J 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Those I are my it. two anchors. Sorry. <laughs> I know those. That's, it's hard to narrow it down to, to just one. So I, um, I didn't know that you did the that you had spice blends and that we'll have to link. We will for sure link to all of this in the show notes. But. I feel you on the, um, the farmer's market. You know, my husband, he does, um, several farmer's markets and, um, it's, you know, he, he does pretty well. Um, but, you know, definitely some days are, are slower than others. Some days are busy and it, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. It's interesting to be in that setting, you know, and, uh, and selling to people. I don't know. It's just, it's very unpredictable. It's very unpredictable. And yeah, some, yeah, some days and I, you know, all the, I see all the vendors everywhere and, and, you know, sometimes it's slower for some people and on some days and sometimes it's busier. It's just kind of interesting. You never know what you're going to get with it. And, um, and so it's a, it's, it presents some, some lessons for people to, <laughs> for yourself, for sure. Yes. Um, but that is that is so great. I didn't know that that y'all did that, and I, I I can't wait to look into your um to your blends and such. How nice. Um, where so speaking of that, um, how, where can people find all the things that you do? Um, the book, the spices. If they want to work with you, do you still take on you still take one on one clients? Um, just kind of tell us more all about how people can find you and work with yeah, you. Yeah, I do one on one work. Uh, my website is terry, T-E-R-R-I, ward.com. And on the, the consulting services page, you can get a feel for how I do work and schedule a complimentary strategy session there. Uh, the book can be found really wherever books are sold. It's the Healing Diverticulitis Cookbook. Um, it's not up on my website yet, but it will be very soon. And uh, Facebook, I'm Terry Ward dot seven seven one, and the, the group you mentioned, Healthy Guts, Healthy Temples with Terry Ward, is is just getting started. So I'd love to have more people in there. And the Spice Cure is the Spice Line blend. That's SpiceCure.me. I'm still working on that door, but I'll be putting recipes on there and and the blends and probably my husband's cutting boards too lots of work to do always always <laughs> i feel you on that one um well that's great um that's great i um encourage everybody to um seek 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 you out and join your group and find more about what um what it is you do and if you need help in this area or kind of do you mostly work with people um, in gut health? I know as, you know, as, as nutritional therapists, it's kind of everything, but do you, do you, it's uh, all about the gut. (laughs) It's all about, it's all about the gut no matter what. So we're all going to start there no matter what. Um, But do you, is that kind of your target niche? Yeah. My target, um, typically people that come to me are just, they don't know what to eat. And they know they're reacting to multiple foods and they just can't come up with a meal and know exactly which ones. So we we work on that and get them back to where they can tolerate more foods. 
And so that might mean they have autoimmune disease. It might mean they have diverticulosis or diverticulitis. It's just the chronic gut conditions typically. Mm-hmm. Or that, that catch-all IBS um, yes. diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. to dig deeper into that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is, I encourage everyone, if that's the diagnosis you have, to dig a little deeper, um, unravel that a little bit, but you know, um, there's more that you can do instead of just living with it. Cause I, it, like you said before, you know, when you were saying how, um, it was hard for you to get to work in the morning. I mean, that's a quality of life issue. It's, you know, and so many people go through that and, and there's things that can be done. And so I just encourage people not to, yeah, it is. To, yeah for sure. Not to settle, um, into that, um, into that diagnosis and, and not that we treat or diagnose or undiagnose anything, but we sure can support the body and help optimize function to, to make things, to make things better, to get some improvement. So, um, well, thank you, Terry. Thank you so much for being with us today and thank you. Um, sharing your expertise. I sure appreciate it. And thank you everybody for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.